Brothers and sisters, and welcome to Sunday service here at Unionville Alliance Church. To the members of our community, welcome back. It's great to see all of your beautiful faces each Sunday. And a big hello, of course, to our brothers and sisters who attend online. And for those of you who may be joining us here for the first time this week, please don't hesitate to approach either myself or one of the other pastoral staff after the service. We'd love the opportunity to meet you and get to know you a little and to see how we can serve you here at UAC. So tis the season, right? It's such a wonderful time of year, the Advent season and the Christmas holidays. It always brings a big smile to my face whenever I see the beautiful decorations and hear the festive music. And also when I go and chill at a busy cafe in a mall, watch the people bustling around, looking super stressed out because they're trying to figure out what to buy their friends and family. Because I usually get to kind of sit back and relax because I've been blessed with an amazing wife who always helps me do all the shopping online. So thank God for my amazing wife who's actually in service today. Um, and thank God for Amazon Prime, am I right? <laughs> it's also the season when I often find myself reflecting on all the various things that have occurred throughout the year, all the, all the victories and all the defeats all the accomplishments and all the shortcomings, all of the peaks and all of the valleys. Now, I'm not sure if any of you here have ever climbed a mountain before, but in my many adventures in Asia, I've had the opportunity to climb several small mountains with a big emphasis on the small. It was never anything really crazy, all right? And regardless each time of how devastating the ascent is, after I take a few puffs of my trusty asthma puffer and I finally catch my breath, the view is always spectacular at the top. The skyline is stunning. The sense of empowerment standing at what feels like the top of the world, peering down and seeing the little buildings, the cute little cars, and the tiny little ant-sized people, if you can even see them from up there. Right? It's an amazing feeling, and it's often in moments like those when we feel like celebrating or shouting for joy at the top of our lungs and praising God for how amazing and how wonderful he is and how wondrous life can be. And you may be at the top of a mountain of sorts in your current stage of life, right? Looking up here, admiring the horizon, taking in the beauty and the splendor of all the blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon you. And in those moments, you may be saying a little cheer, right? Like, hooray, God, go me. Look at all the achievements I've made. Look at how far I've come in life. But then, inevitably, and I say inevitably here because no one stays at the top indefinitely, right? You begin to move on from that point of your life. And inevitably, without fail, every single time, you will eventually come upon a valley and you may still be looking up here, right? Enjoying the view, thinking, what a wonderful life. But then unfortunately, you will trip and you'll begin to roll very ungracefully down into the pit of that valley. Avoid as you might, claw as you may, sometimes there's just absolutely nothing that will stop you from stumbling all the way down to the very bottom because that's just the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a world that's broken a world where happiness is very momentary and very fleeting, a world where the bar is constantly being raised and the levels only get 
higher and harder. A world where, very simply put, without God, that void is and will remain empty within us. But don't worry, I'm not here this morning to crush everybody's Christmas spirits, okay? And so today, I want us to continue in our series on Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. Now, last week, Pastor Leonor spoke about God and his glory and how he is holy. And so this week, I'd like us to focus on the word with and how our amazing God is with us in all those times when we feel like there's no way out. In the moments when we think we're being suffocated or smothered by the overwhelming pressures of life. Or in the instances when we desperately cling on to those tiny glimmers of hope. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We thank you for this time and for bringing us here to be able to gather together and worship together and just hear your word together, Lord. I pray this morning that you let us feel your presence, that you fill this place, this space with the Holy Spirit and that you let it be a tangible presence here, Lord. I pray that you work in our hearts and that you open the hearts of everyone that's here and that you let them be able to hear the message that you want them to hear. Let them be able to have the discernment and the wisdom to process this message. And I pray, Lord, that as I speak, that you empower me and that you be the one that speaks through me. And I lift up this time in your name, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So this being the season of Advent, and as we quickly approach the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I thought it would be fitting today for us to look at a very familiar and well-known character in Scripture who faced a peculiar situation that turned his life upside down and could have potentially destroyed his life if he let it. I want us to look at the series of events that led to the birth of Jesus but with an emphasis on Joseph and the decision that he faced when he found out that his fiance was suddenly pregnant. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And now this seems like a very straightforward retelling of events, right? It's very direct and it's very factual. But I don't think that when we read or hear the words from this passage, we get a real sense of the intensity of what's actually occurring here. So I want to sort of paint us a picture of what may have occurred on that day when Mary decided to break this awesome news to Joseph. All right, so picture this. All right, and I have to stress to everyone that this is probably not exactly how things went down that day, but I, ho I think or I hope that it can help give us a visualization of the events that occurred. So let's, let's imagine this, okay? Let's imagine Joseph is here, and I, I'm Joseph, all right, and he's here, 
And depending on what time of day it is, he's probably working away. He's crafting something, all right, since it was known that his profession was a craftsman or maybe a carpenter. So let's imagine that I'm Joseph, I'm here, he's here, he's, he's working away really hard. And let's, let's say this is a beautiful piece of furniture, maybe some home decor or maybe an extravagant toy of some sorts. He's working here, okay? And as he's working, he's maybe also thinking something like, man, what a long day. I just want to get this done so I can, I don't know, go home and eat some food. Maybe I'll go visit Mary, right? See what she's up to, and we can hang out and get to know each other even a little better. When speaking of, in comes Mary, okay? And so Joseph, he smiles, right? He's happy because they're probably still in that really new and fresh stage in their relationship where it's super electric wherever they encounter each other, and it's all, always super excellent to see your soon-to-be significant other. So he's, he's like, yay, okay? Yay, and then he's, he greets Mary, and he's working away. He's trying to hurry up so that he can make some time to spend with Mary when she suddenly says, so listen, Joseph, uh, as it turns out, apparently I'm pregnant. <laughs> so Joseph, he pauses, right? He's extremely confused. He's trying to process and he's also slightly upset, right? So he's standing there, and wow, this is, this, is a lot hard, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Hold on a second. Wow, okay. Sorry, so I was supposed to crush it with my hand, but um, apparently not strong enough. So Joseph, he's getting upset, okay? And upon receiving this news, all right, after accidentally destroying his project, He's probably also thinking something like, unbelievable, right? And now obviously none of us here really know exactly how Joseph reacted when he initially heard this news. But I think it's safe to assume that the destruction of this super adorable um, gingerbread house, which I made actually, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I think it's safe to assume that that would have paled in comparison to what actually occurred in his mind, right? And scripture goes on to say that Joseph was a righteous man and that because of his awesome moral character, he decided not to publicly shame Mary, but instead he decided he was gonna call off the engagement quietly. And needless to say, Joseph found himself of no fault of his own because of circumstances far beyond his control, stumbling into a massive valley he just lost the woman that he thought he was gonna spend the rest of his life with, right? He had to face telling his family that the engagement and the wedding was off. And he was also probably in a lot of heartache because this was all happening, at least to his human understanding, because his fiance was unfaithful to him. But as we continue to read their story, we see that something spectacular happens, right when Joseph is where could arguably be his lowest point. We see that God met Joseph in the depth of his despair. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, we see that God sends an angel to appear before Joseph in a dream and tells him the truth that the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that she will have a son and that he was to name him Jesus because he, the child, was going to save his people from their sins. God came to Joseph 
and walked with him through his challenge. Verses 24 to 25 go on to say that when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So we see that because God was with Joseph down in his valley, he was able to move forward. And what's more is that God's presence in his struggle prompted his obedience to God's command to change his mind and follow God's lead and do God's will, taking Mary as his wife, taking the child as his own son, and naming him Jesus. And there are many other instances in Scripture where we find people being in valleys. For example, David and Goliath faced each other in the valley of Elah. Pharaoh pursued the Israelites as they were encamped at a place called Pi-Hahiroth, or translated as the mouth of freedom, otherwise referred to as a valley between two high rocks. In scripture, we actually often find that valleys are places where battles take place. They're places where there's a looming darkness or a treacherous path. And another example we see of such a valley is found in Psalm 84, verse 5, where the specific mention of a valley, the valley of Baca, or in some translations, a valley of weeping, can be observed. Now, before I continue, can we all just kind of pause for a second and ponder the existence of such a miserable place? Right? Can you imagine a place being so heavy and so full of desperation that if you venture into it, you risk spontaneously bursting out into tears? It actually kind of reminds me of my 20-month-old son, Ethan, who, unfortunately for my wife and I, sometimes seems to be perpetually stuck in the Valley of Baca. You know? And now, of course, the, the Valley of Baca here is being used simply as a metaphor. Its actual location or its existence, it's uncertain. But the image that this evokes is one of a place that no one would joyfully walk into or walk through. Right? And so thankfully, when we read the broader passage where this valley comes from, we see the goodness of God and how he is there with us, carrying us through with his strength. Psalm 84, verse 5 to 7 says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. And here, the first thing that jumped out at me is the state of mind of the person who is on this journey. You would expect this person to be in fear or have a bit of anxiety or be tense because they're about to journey into the valley of weeping, right? But in verse 5, it actually says, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem when they walk through the valley of weeping, which tells me that although they're facing the imminent arrival of such a valley, of a place of great peril, they have the unending joy that comes from God being with them. And why do we know that this joy is coming from God's 
presence? Well, it's obvious because it says, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. It doesn't say, what joy for those who are super strong or bold or fear no man. It doesn't say, what joy for those who are super wealthy or super capable or super smart. But it does say, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. It's because Emmanuel is there with them. And it is because they know of his presence that they lean into his power and they're able to walk with his strength. Moving further into the passage, another thing that always evokes a sense of peace in my mind is the word through. And I know it's a very common, it's a very simple word, but just bear with me for a moment, all right? Because in verse 6, the psalmist says, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. And the word through here jumps out at me because it implies something very significant. That the person who's on this journey doesn't just fall into the valley. That's not the end of their story, right? Because they come through, they get through to the other side and they're able to continue on towards their destination. The depiction of this journey is also interesting in another way because something about their path changes at a very fundamental level as they're walking with the Lord's strength. We see that as they go through the valley, they transform the valley from a dark and treacherous place into a place that's filled with springs, a place with rain, which signifies that life can exist, that growth can happen, that transformation and renewal can take place. And amazingly enough, when we reach verse 7, we are further affirmed of the goodness of God and His work in our lives because it says they will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. You see, over the period spent in this valley, Emmanuel gave them growth. And with the experiences and the hardships that they overcame with Emmanuel's strength, they were molded into stronger people. They were refined into the people that they were created to be. There's one last very important theme that I haven't mentioned yet from this passage, and it's sort of like the glue that holds the entire message together. A reading through this passage can evoke a lot of peace and a lot of hope, right? It can pour a lot of light into a dark situation. But there's one thing that we can't ever forget, and that's the destination that we are aiming for. God is with us through the valleys of our lives. There's no doubt about that. He gives us his strength and he fills us with this unending joy. But aside from his love and his presence and his grace in these situations, it is actually we who hold the obligation to make sure that we are following him, to make sure that we have our eyes and our hearts pointed towards him. The entire passage begins to crumble if we remove the destination, if we remove Emmanuel as our intentional goal. 
So let's read through that one more time, all right, with that in mind. Okay, in verse 5 it says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. And we've discussed that, right? It's pretty straightforward. But pay attention here, all right, because here comes the first reminder in this next part. And it says, Who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. A pilgrimage to Jerusalem, often referred to as the city of God, which implies that we have the choice to make of traveling towards God and setting or focusing our minds on him. Because we can't expect to live lives distanced from the Lord or intentionally disobey or dishonor the Lord and then think or bank on him swooping in and saving us every time. It doesn't really work like that, right? Continuing on to verse 6, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger. And pay attention here again, because here comes the second reminder. And here, actually, it's rather more of a promise. And it's very beautiful, because it says, each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. We will get to where God is because he will meet us wherever we are and carry us to where he wants us to be. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, God is always with us. Emmanuel will always give us his strength. But we must exercise our free will in accordance with being followers of Jesus, constantly seeking him out and rejoicing in him at the top of the summits of our lives and trusting in his strength and his goodness in the depth of the valleys. I think we can all learn something from the way that Joseph responded to what occurred in his life. Maybe not the destruction of this uh, gingerbread house here, right? but the faith that he had and the obedience that followed. We can have confidence that God will be with us like he was with Joseph whenever life throws its difficulties at us. And we must be obedient in our surrender to his will in the face of adversity to allow him to take control and to remove our incapable selves from the equation. I mean, Mary and Joseph's story didn't just end there. In their surrender and their obedience, they go on to have a child who was conceived before they were married, raising him with all of their love, risking shame and risking scrutiny, risking becoming potential outcasts. But in the end, their surrender and obedience led to something amazing. It led to something beautiful. It led to something that glorified God and something that fulfilled God's will. And now, surely enough, 
it may not look exactly the same for us today, right? We may not get the appearance of an angel in our dreams telling us exactly what the Lord wants us to do. But that's okay because the birth of Jesus didn't simply initiate the series of events that would lead to God's promise of giving us salvation. It also led to the gift of something much better than the appearance of angels in our dreams. Jesus promises us in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17, that if we love him and obey his commandments, he will ask the Father and he will give us another advocate who will never leave us. He is the Holy Spirit who leads him to all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And what a privilege it is, right? For us to be able to live with the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. To be able to call upon Emmanuel in times when we cannot do it anymore. In times when we alone cannot prevail. To be able to let Emmanuel's victory pave the way for us. To be able to boldly walk forth knowing that Emmanuel is always with us. And I want to end our discussion today by sharing a bit of the testimony of an individual who I'm very close with, someone who I've known all my life and who I've walked with my entire life. This individual faced a lot of adversity as a child. He came from a relatively wealthy background. But because of some unique circumstances within his family, he wasn't able to spend a lot of time with his father when he was growing up. And so in order to fulfill this longing that he had to have an older male role model in his life, as a teenager, he went out and sought the guidance and the companionship and the friendships of older guys in all the wrong places. This eventually would lead him into a life where he'd be exposed to a lot of crime. And before he knew it, he was deeply immersed in a life where evil was glorified, where people dying from violence and substance abuse was a very regular thing, and where he would find himself ultimately trapped by the grips of substance abuse. And at one point in his life, in this low valley, if you will, he found himself facing homelessness. His friends had abandoned him. He had burned the bridges between his family. They basically told him that they loved him, but they couldn't stand there and watch him destroy himself. And so before he decided to get better, he needed to go on his own path. No one knew how to help him. And even though he knew he needed to turn his life around, he didn't have the power to do so. He felt alone and abandoned and powerless. He contemplated suicide countless times. And in that final time, when his family kicked him out of the house again because they had had enough, he could see nothing but an abyss where his future should have been. So off he went, right, subwaying towards Peter Street, 
downtown Toronto to a place called Central Intake, where the homeless people are allowed to gather and they're able to use the free phones that they provide there so that they could call various shelters in hopes that a bed would open up so that they didn't have to sleep in the street through the night in the blistering winter cold. But this time, as he was journeying towards his uncertain future, something remarkable occurred. He looked down and he saw a random girl reading scripture. He looked around and he saw signs that read, Jesus loves you. And of course, right, these signs, they were probably always there. But I believe that that day it was God working in his heart because that time he noticed them. And when he noticed them, all of a sudden, all the memories that he had as a child growing up, when he learned about God, when he heard about Jesus, came flooding back into his mind. And in that moment, he decided that he was going to ask Jesus to come into his heart. He told God that he needed help. He told God that he was powerless and he didn't know what to do and that he was scared. He told God he regretted the man that he had become and he asked God to forgive him. And moments later, he experienced an overwhelming joy and an inexplainable fearlessness for his future because he could feel Emmanuel's presence and he could hear Emmanuel telling him that he was his beloved child, that this would pass, and that even though it seemed like there was nowhere to turn at that time, everything would be okay because Emmanuel was with him. Now, I wish that was the end of his story. It would have been a beautiful ending and wrapped up like a great Christmas present. But it wasn't that simple, right? Because although he prayed for Jesus to come to his heart and he asked and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior that day, he wasn't immediately teleported out of his valley. He still went on and endured a time of homelessness. And it would take him years to figure out what it actually meant to be a follower of Jesus. What it meant to surrender his will to the will of the Lord. And what it meant to live a life after Christ. But what did change for him from that moment on was he never again felt alone. And despite making mistake after mistake, even after he accepted Jesus, he could always feel that Emmanuel was there with him, extending grace, forgiving him of his trespasses time and again, showing him unconditional love. Always there with him when he celebrated the little victories that he had in his life and always down there with him, carrying him every time he suffered. And it's now been over a decade since all of these events occurred. And I can happily say that he's in a much further part 
in his life journey, and he's currently in an amazing chapter of his life. His family has accepted him back. He's now married, and he has a child. He actually serves at a church as a pastor. And if you ask him, he will always tell you how God is very real, and how the power of the Holy Spirit is very real, and how although he had to endure the consequences of his choices, in retrospect, he could see that Emmanuel never abandoned him. Despite all the stupid mistakes that he made. And that Emmanuel used all of these things and shaped him into a man who was now firm in his faith. You see, Emmanuel took those times and experiences when he was powerless, when he felt like there was no way out. All the experiences that he had growing up with a really rough crowd and turned him into somebody who is bold in his faith. Somebody who can now use those very same experiences to breathe life into the people that he encounters. And someone now, because of his surrender and obedience, has the privilege of serving Emmanuel in furthering his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, if you remember that Emmanuel, that God is with you in every single moment of your life, up there with you, cheering you on and celebrating at the peaks and on top of the summits of your lives, and down there with you in the gutter, in the trenches, pulling you out of every single low valley. And if you allow Emmanuel to be your strength, to be the one who establishes your steps. He will do something beautiful with your life, with the experiences that you've gone through and with the things that you are currently fighting through. Because Emmanuel is and always will be victorious. The brokenness of this world cannot hold us down because Emmanuel is always with us. And if we allow him to be the one we lean into when we think the world is crashing down around us, his victory will be ours. Just like the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for this time and for the message that um, I was able to smoothly deliver. We pray, Lord, that um, you work in the hearts of everyone that's here, Lord, that you let them be able to sit with what they've heard and that it resonates with them, that it really speaks into their lives and leads them in the way that they're able to live. I pray, Lord, that you continue to sustain them with your power, that you continue to remind them that you are always there and that you are good and that you can overcome anything that they face in their lives, Lord. And I pray that you continue to journey and walk with each of them, keeping them close and keeping their eyes and their hearts focused upon you. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.